This is Peg Felt. We are doing... Uh, it, 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 I'm going to ask everybody to put themselves back in, in 1982, because we're, if you weren't born in by that time or before that time or since that time, whatever, but 1982 was a very specific year because it was the year of fast times at Ridgemont High. Tom Mount, my partner in crime here, uh, greenlit that movie, worked very hard to make sure that movie uh, made it uh, made it out there, and I and I today we go through the entire struggle of getting that film made, which is fascinating because it's it's kind of one of these uh, bellwether sort of films. Like the 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 teen film changed basically on that year, don't you think? Oh, I think so. Yeah, it's, So 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 start at the very beginning, which is what we do on the show. We sort of we, we, these important moments in in film and television. We try to say what's the origin of this. So what's the first inkling of fast times that you hear so this works in the following way bill it starts with a 13 year old cameron crow a 13 year old he's cameron, 13 he's 13 when he's writing for the san diego door he's interviewing major rock acts at 13 14 and 15 and like oh well that's right wait wait a second because he did almost famous he was a kid yes that was about him that was writing about him. a rock and roll like for Cream and things like yes, that, right? For, and working his way up through Cream to Rolling Stone. Yes, 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 and, yes. Okay, that makes perfect sense. Okay. And so Cameron is out there doing this amazing stuff. I'm a studio guy at Universal trying to figure out a way to make some interesting movies that are about the culture. Right. I'm reading alternative newspapers like Mad, LA Weekly, Village Voice, anything, mm -hmm. everything. Tons of stuff coming through every week. Staying current, staying plugged into the culture is life or death for a good studio executive. Right. So I see Cameron's work. I know who the guy is. Who is this kid? He's writing these interviews. The interviews are crisp. They're smart. They're funny. Yeah. They have a perspective. He's knowledgeable. He pays attention to the music. He knows about the lives of the musicians. He doesn't pull punches. Mm. So... There's a guy out there named uh, David Obst. Yeah. David Obst is a publisher, uh, agent, manager, guy who makes books happen. And David Obst finds Cameron Crowe somehow. I have no idea how. And Cameron Crowe has decided to try to go back to high school. He's 20, I think when he goes back to high school. I'm not sure. It might be 21. But nevertheless, Cameron at 20 or 21 looked convincingly 16 or 17. Right. So he's going to go to high school. He finds a high school in near San Diego to go to. He lives with a family that they make a deal with. They pay this family to say to the high school that Cameron is their cousin or nephew or something who mm -hmm. has moved to California and who needs to transfer in for his senior year. Right. So he does his senior year at this Claremont High in, in San Diego. And with the idea that he's going to write about it. It's a book from the beginning. Okay. So he has a deal to write a book about the high school experience from the point of view of someone who's too old to be in high school, who's going back and seeing what it is today. I think he hopes he has a deal to write a book. Okay. And David assures him that he can get it sold, okay. which indeed he can. And David, right. by the way, has represented real people, Woodward and Bernstein. And sure, yeah, no, he's a big, know, he's a big Cy, name. Cy yeah. Hirsch, who was yeah. the New York Times journalist who covered the war in Vietnam so brilliantly, and the Pentagon Papers work, sure. all of that. So Cameron writes this book. 
best times at Ridgemont High. David Ost calls me and says, I've got this book, and it's underway, and it's Cameron, you know, that guy who writes the rock and roll stuff, and yeah. I love that idea. Yeah. I love the idea that he spent a year in high school, and he's coming out, and he's going to write about it, and I'm hoping for authenticity, right? which is the most cherished possession you can have as a guy who's trying to develop movies, sure, and the rarest. Yes. And so, indeed, David sells the book to Simon & Schuster. Now, it's a real publishing company. They're going to publish it. They do. The book does well. More importantly, the book's great in terms of material as a movie. Mm-hmm. So we make a deal immediately with David, with Cameron Crowe, to adapt his own book, to write a script about this. So he does. Cameron Crowe goes off to write this book. And adapting it, it's, um, I will say, it's, it was the draft he did First, the draft, uh, not first draft, but the ultimate draft he did was episodic, but great. By episodic, you mean like it was one good scene followed by another good scene. I thought the movie was a little episodic. The movie is episodic. It still is It, in it that. holds together, but at the same time, You're you, jumping can watch, around. you can watch one scene and be totally satisfied in another scene. Right. You know, right. Uh, so it jumps around a lot, but it does that across a wide variety of characters and the whole point here is this you know as uh, i'm going to quote from cameron here he says to the press um it's this movie's true to the humor the kids have it's not a teen exploitation film it's the way they live the anguish and adolescent turmoil uh, and is important but the humor is also important the kids love to have fun great Right. So it's coming from a totally honest and real place, and he writes a great script, and we have to figure out how to make this movie. And was he ever found out, by the way? I, I just, did they? Did no. anybody ever come up in, and in say, you don't belong here, you're no, too old? No. No. No, but afterward, afterward, he had a lot of mea culpa time yeah. with kids he'd befriended, girls he'd gone out with, people that he knew in All high right. school, his buddies. Yeah. He had to explain that he was a much older guy on a different mission. Yeah. And he did explain that. He yeah. cleaned that up okay. with all those kids. That's good. Because he had to. But that's who Cameron is. Cameron Crowe is a very, very decent guy. He's got a great heart. Yeah, if, if, and if those of you out there don't know Cameron Crowe is, you're talking about uh, Say Anything, uh, Almost Famous. Jerry Maguire. Jerry Maguire. I mean, yeah, big, big, big movies, great movies. All um, right. Jerry Maguire, writer and director on Jerry Maguire. Don't get much better than Jerry Maguire. That's right. So in any event, now we have to find a director who's going to do this film. Now, I'm in a studio surrounded. Remember, I'm probably, I don't even know. What year did we do this movie? 82. 82. So I'm already uh, in my late 20s, something. You're over the hill now. Over the hill, yeah. Wow. So really, are you al- president of? of oh, yeah, you're yeah. president of Universal Pictures. Yeah, yeah, but in your late twenties, I just yeah. want to keep driving this oh, home because no, no, point, no. it's sort of, sort of one of no, the became, fascinating things. I became here. president when I was twenty six. Twenty twenty six. Yes. Twenty six. Nine years as president. Wow. Left when I was thirty five. Wow. So in any event, um, the whole thing here is I'm surrounded by old 
cynical studio executives, and I'm right. still trying to get rid of them and replace them with the Sean Daniels and Bruce Bermans of the earth, young men and women, Helena Hacker and mm -hmm. Marianne Maloney, all these people who come from, who are my age, are younger, and right. who are revolutionizing the film business, and at the same time, at other studios, they are realizing that the old school movies they've been making are dying. Yeah. And so there's a transition. The baby boom generation takes over Hollywood is that headline. Yeah. And so that's what happened. Yeah. So they're trying to get me to use a raft of directors, all of whom are awful. Yeah. People who direct comedy. Yeah. You know, people who could do a great job with a Neil Simon play. Yeah, sure, like the the, yeah. the odd couple or something, something. like that. Something, but yeah. you know, but have no fucking clue what Cameron Crowe is talking sure. about. And so, one of my people, Helena Hacker, goes to see, as I make them all go to see all these uh, festivals of graduating classes at all the film schools, the American Film Institute, CalArts, mm -hmm. USC, UCLA, and so they have to cover this and come back to me and say, "Is can anybody direct? You know, and mostly the answer is no. Yeah. She came back and said, there's this girl. Already I'm interested. Because yeah. this movie, told from a guy's perspective, is kind of ugly. Yeah, because it's so much about the pretty girls and, and the horny guys. And, and it's also about women who take control of their lives. Right. Way before that becomes a public a thing. issue. A thing. And so remember, also way before any any women are directing movies. Let's let's oh, put well, it. Let's say that for so uh, Heckerling. I look at her film. It's 25, 28 minutes long. It's called Getting It Over With. It's about a girl who's nineteen years old and realizes she's about to graduate and she's still a virgin and she can't stand it. Mm -hmm. And so she has gives herself a deadline of a few days to get laid and have that experience and right. begin to move forward. It is smart. It's interesting. It's not great because it's a student film. Sure. So all the technical stuff is goofy. Yeah. Amy finished it when she got out of AFI, probably took her a year after AFI to finish it. Whew. And a lot of sound, music issues, you could see all that stuff. But what it is, is authentic. Mm -hmm. Every choice she made about the actors rings true. Right. Even if the actor's not very good. Yeah. So I call Heckerling. Get her into the studio. Come in here. We're going to make a deal with you. You've got to direct something for the studio. I give her a few scripts to read. One of them is Cameron's version of Fast Times Richmond High, which she lights on, as they say down home. She uh, grabs this. In any event, she <laughs> I'm not <laughs> going to use any of those down home <laughs> similes because all of them are too pornographic right. and rude gotcha. to be used on yes. this august broadcasting system yes. of ours. So... She says she wants to do Fast Times. That's great. We put her together with Cameron. They get along really well. They do a new draft of the script, and we begin to march forward to make this thing. Now, listen, Universal's used to making Airport and Earthquake and yes. Giant Midway. Big, big disaster, war. Yeah, big stuff. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm going, I'm taking the studio in a totally different direction. Yeah. Taking my whole goal is to take the studio in the direction of edgy comedy, right? Which nobody else in town is doing. Yes, you know, Warner's owns action. Right. Paramount owns sophisticated filmmaking. Fox owns romantic films, etc. Nobody's doing what we do. So right. Fast Times fits in with Richard Pryor, Lily Tomlin, 
George Carlin, all the other people that were signing and mm. making pictures with Cheech and Chong. I should mention those noble sure. warriors of filmmaking. And so. You guys did all the, t- Cheech, you did like Up and Smoke and those things. No, we th- just did one, but we did one. Okay, you, you know, did one, did, okay. It, in which we elaborately, our, our marketing department came up with a brilliant title for that movie. It's called Cheech and Chong's Next Movie. Oh, yes, I remember that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So. They uh, had their moment. They did. They had, they their, had moment. their moment. And Cheech and Chong's next movie not only was funny, it made money, and yeah. we're all very happy about Good. it. Good. So now we have to get the movie made. To get the movie made, we need to be able to budget it and plan it, etc. This This struggle relates to the warfare inside a studio over how much any movie is going to cost. So in this particular movie... I knew the odds were running against us because none of my senior executives wanted to make the movie. Right. Nobody. Nobody wanted this. So I can understand that. Yeah. Well, they I, were at offended this point by in it. time. Yeah, it's 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 it's, the, it's raunchy. Yeah, a little bit. It's it's ultimately as you're casting it full of people they've never heard of before. Yeah, I'm assuming that's true. Um, uh, even though they all almost every person in it became a big star. Yeah. Um, and and you're also not convinced that that's your market for Universal. I can see that, too. I can see them going, like, well, no, we're, we're, we're aiming for a different crowd than that. Right. So, uh, finally, with a lot of politicking, I get Mr. Wasserman, who's the chairman of the company, to approve a $4.5 million budget to make the picture. Wow. That ain't much money no. in 1982 to yeah. make a movie. Right. It's more like trying to make a movie in 1962 with a million dollars. You know, so it's it's funny that, that you had, in those days, you had to convince them to go after a young market. Oh, yeah. It's it, interesting how the world just completely flipped. Completely flipped. flipped. Now well, you have to make a big case to go after older people, right? That's exactly right. And by the way, that's the battle today. Yeah, that's Older right. people are utterly underserved yeah. by the entertainment community. Hence this uh, broadcast, since this yes. podcast. Yes, no doubt about that. Yeah. So, problem with making a deal with Amy to direct the movie was that she didn't have an agent. So I decided to get her an agent. I mean, after all, I'm running a studio and I've got a go movie that I wanted to do. Right. So I call ICM. They say, forget it. Why? Well, it's a girl. Girls don't direct. Nobody wants a girl director. Wow. Number two. (laughs) Number two. uh, If she makes one film and it flops, then we have to carry her on our roster and we can't unload her. It's going to be tough to sell. You know, this is going to be a flop. The little teen movie. You got That's four and a half this, million dollars. This makes absolutely no sense to me. So, it's a go movie, way. basically. So That's, it's that's a payday. IC, that's ICM, the most liberal of the agencies. Uh-huh. And William Morris is less kind than this to oh, me. Really? William Morris basically says, "Go fuck yourself, and leave us alone, and don't bring us this kind of nonsense." So I finally find a small family-run agency that is excited about mm-hmm. Amy Heckerly. They get it. It's a go movie, first of all. Right. And secondly, maybe she'll turn out to be something. And they're nice people. Right. Unlike some of our friends who are agents. Right. And so I finally signed Amy. It took three months, by the way, to get her an agent. Amazing. With a go picture at a studio. Amazing. Anyway, now she's on. We're on. We have to cast the thing. Right. I have a young new head of casting named Michael Chinich and Bonnie Timmerman 
who's my go-to casting person on sure. the outside. Mm -hmm. And Bonnie's been bugging me about this script for months already, saying that there's a kid in an off-Broadway play in New York that I have to go see who is just right for this movie, and I have to go see him, and I can't just so. I get on a plane, and I schlep to New York, and I go to see off-Broadway a play called Slab Boys, and the actor is Sean Penn. Slab Boys, Sean Penn. And Sean Penn has done basically no he's, film? No, he's been in a few films and secondary roles, tertiary yeah. roles, but he's never right. done anything that would lead me to believe he could be Spicoli. Yeah. So I see Slab Boys, and the guy's brilliant. Yeah. The guy's brilliant. Yeah. So Bonnie's right. Yeah. So get Sean Penn. Do you meet with him? Do you no. talk to him? You Don't just look to. at it and I you go like, that's fine, do that. Yeah, great. And he has a friend, Don Phillips, also a casting director, and I get Don involved, and we bring the anyway. It's all these guys are working together, and we're trying to foment a revolution at this studio. Right. And so the old casting head of the studio, I have finally gotten to move on to some browner pasture somewhere mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and replaced him with these people, okay. young, interesting casting directors who actually care about this. Right. Because every time I went to the former casting head, about a part, he said, well, we could get uh, Janet Lee, We could get Rock Hudson. By the way, when I got to Universal Bill, just to show you, that was 73. In 1973, we had 800 actors under contract at Universal. 800. Amazing. What the hell are we doing? Well, we had, we're running a television mill. We right. owned, we didn't literally own, but we might as well have owned NBC. We had yeah. 10 hours a night of prime time on one yeah. network. Well, Universal, yeah, was a huge television uh, yeah. Uh, producer. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, almost TV every movie, uh, almost every TV show you, you watched in those days had the big Universal uh, logo, on, logo it. on it. Yeah. And so, in any event, the point is, we finally cast this thing. We begin to pull it together. And, and Amy Heckerling's great. She has good instincts about people. She's on it. People like her. She's funny. She's charming. She's fresh. This is all shaping up nicely. I get Doc Erickson, who has never made a movie this small in his life. Doc Erickson was the line producer of Chinatown. Right. He did big movies, complicated movies. He's a terrific guy. I said, Doc, you've got to go do this movie because I've got to have somebody who's actually made a movie on this movie. <laughs> so... Just yes. run it, you know, just run it. I've got a producer who's barely a producer. I've got a director who, for her first time out, yep. I've got uh, Matt Leonetti, the cameraman. He's terrific, but he's also young. Yeah. And what I can't afford to do is make a movie, no matter what the price is, that's a flop. Right. Because I'm selling not just the movie, I'm selling the entire idea of changing the context of the studio to a comedy-driven, youth-driven operation. So you, you have Amy Heckerling, who's never made a movie. Cameron Crowe writes, I think is the sole writer on this. It's basically. his first film. It's yeah. his first. He's never done a script before. No. So I can see I can see where some people said, hey, this is a really terrible idea. And as John Landis once said to me when we were uh, working, getting a lot of resistance on Animal House, he said, Tom, fuck them if they can't take a joke. <laughs> And I would just say I agree with that wholeheartedly. Yeah. Thank you, John. Right. Right. So now we're starting to sh sh figure out how to make it. Bill, how to make it's a little more complicated because we can't really afford to build sets. No. And it has 
It has big, it has a school, obviously. It has Ridgemont High. You got to yes. find a high school somewhere. Well, we found three of them. Okay. Out in the San Fernando Valley, we used pieces of all three high schools. Oh, okay. But we also had a mall, the Sherman Oaks Galleria, which is on well, Ventura and Van Nuys. Uh, ever, ever, if you grew up around that area or, or even visited, you know this. You know what the Sherman Oaks Galleria is. And you also know that this movie put that on the map. Put it on the map. But here's the problem. They wouldn't let us use it except when they were closed. Ah. So we would load in at 9 o'clock at night yeah. when they closed the mall. Right. And we would load out before 9 a.m. when they opened the mall. Ah. So they're all nights. There's a reason you don't see any daytime in Fast Times at Ridgemont High when they're in the mall. Right. Because there is no daytime. There is no daytime. We can't do <laughs> it. So we open the hamburger stand. We open the ice cream parlor. We yeah. open the thing. We use yeah. the mall, we, et cetera. Yeah. Now, well, yes. What about Phoebe Cates? Because, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't want to, I mean, I'm, I'm an old man now. I don't want to make too fine a point of this. But uh, I wasn't an old man when I saw this movie. Phoebe Cates is very impressive in the movie and, and yeah. all that stuff. So here's the problem. Phoebe Cates' father, Joe Cates, Broadway producer, good guy. I know the guy. Yeah. And her uncle is Gil Cates, who produces the Academy Awards every year for years sure. yes. for us. And I know Gil Cates well, and these people are friends. And so now... I have to figure out what I say to dad, her dad, yeah. about the fact that she can take her clothes off in this movie. Right. So I called Joe Cates. Joe Cates, I said, Joe, listen, there's a script, it's the thing, here's what's in it, this girl is directing, this is what we're doing. We'd like her for the movie, she wants to do it, but I can't do this not okay with you. She was, by the way, I think maybe 19, maybe 18 right. at the time. Yeah. He said to me, Tom, she hasn't listened to me since she was 15. <laughs> so if she wants to do it, go right ahead. And we did. And by the way, I then discovered that at 17, she'd been doing fully nude things in Hollywood movies. Oh. But I didn't know any of that at the time. Right. Okay. So. She's an interesting case, isn't she? Smart, I mean, she great she, girl. She, she marries a, a, a Kevin Klein. Kevin Klein, right. And, and she says, you know, it's enough of this. Oh, I'm yeah. I'm not going to do this anymore. And, and that's right. And, and by the way, Phoebe Cates is a lovely person. Yeah. She's nice and smart and yeah. on it. And she fell into this modely, semi-nude mm -hmm. entertainment thing mm -hmm. that people found her very appealing in. Mm -hmm. And she fell in love with Kevin. And Kevin's great. Yeah, Kevin's he's great. Of, I've been around a, him a few times. Yeah, not only He's also super smart. smart. Yeah, super smart and a wonderful actor. Yeah. And a guy that has enormous respect inside the entertainment community. Yeah, yeah. And so that became a relationship that meant more to her than another movie. Yeah. I and can, who could blame I her? I know. Uh, uh, I totally get it. Can I ask you about a few other names? Of course. Ray Walston. Yes, <laughs> my Mr. favorite. Hand. <laughs> my favorite. Mark. He's so important to this film. How did that end up? How did Ray Walston well, end up in so this? So that's picture? again. That's Chinich and and, and um, Timmerman and really uh, and and Don Phillips. I think was involved in that too, as I remember. Ray Walston is a wonderful, wonderful character actor. He's most, fantastic. Most people remember My Favorite Martian as his big television yeah. thing for years. Yeah. So we had the part of this intimidating high school teacher who takes Spicoli to task mm -hmm. and tracks him down, not 
only tracks him down in the high school, goes to his home, yes. invades his space, yes. and forces Spicoli to graduate. Yeah. It, 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 what I like about it is he's, it's actually, if you've ever had one of those tough but really good high school teachers, yes. that he reminds you, I had a, I had a teacher named Mr. Sparks, and he, and he spoke like this. <laughs> and he would say, Mr. Getty, is there something that's funny that you can share with the entire class? And so, and, and he reminded that Ray Walston was, is a real character. I, yes. I, that there are high school teachers just like that. I they, thought it was fantastic. They are indeed. And so the other thing about this that made me laugh is that my uh, grandmother on my father's side was named, her last name was Hand. Mm-hmm. And so my father's name, middle name was Hand. Mm-hmm. And many, I have siblings who use the hand name as well. So that was a kind of gift to me, off the record, sub rosa gift from the well, that's nice. casting people huh. that they made sure he was called Mr. Hand. Mr. Hand. So that's right. sweet. You know, I, I don't remember. It's funny, I, like, I guess I, I just don't remember Nick Cage in it. And then oh, I, yeah. and I had to look. I, I, it would, was it a major role that Nick Cage yeah, had? But not the biggest role in the thing. I but mean, Judge Reinhold had a bigger part. Yeah, I know he had it. I, I could always remember Judge Reinhold. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But, you know, remember Eric Stoltz is in this thing? Richard yeah. Romanus is in this movie? A, Forrest a, a, Whitaker. Forrest is, Whitaker's in this movie. Yeah. No, no, no. He's got to be like a kid. Yeah, he's a kid. But they're all kids. Well, they're all kids. Of course, it's a, it's a movie about kids. But he's, you, I, he's, he always plays such a sort of older, wiser man. That's just sort of funny to think of him in this. So movie. now we're in the Sherman Oaks Galleria. We're running around the valley, shooting. Yeah. Everything's a practical. What that means in in conventional English is that we're not building anything. Yeah. We have to shoot in real spaces. That's a big problem. You can't light them. The ceilings are too sure. high. You can't move a wall to get a shot. It's always a nightmare. So we ended up building, I think, the three key bedrooms of our three key characters on a stage at Universal uh-huh. at the end of the day because we just couldn't get it done without being able to have wild walls and other and some lighting. Yeah. You know, you need to put a light somewhere yeah. and stuff like that. So now the picture goes into production. We're, we're shooting at night in the Galleria. We're running all over the valley. We're using three different high schools to create Ridgemont High. And in the process, Doc Erickson is keeping this thing on budget and on schedule. Matt Leonetti is doing a great job of shooting. I'm looking at dailies every day, as I always did on all the shows. And I think the thing is shaping up to be a good movie. I'm excited about it. There's a big important component here that we're not even mentioning. One of the producers, the co-producer, Art Linson and Irving Azoff, Irving Azoff, yeah, was a manager, is a manager of major rock acts in Hollywood. And yeah. at this time, he had everybody. He had the Eagles. He had Linda yeah. Ronstadt. Yeah, he very had famously the Eagles. and uh, A whole that. raft of people. Yes, so of Irving reached out to his client base and recruited, based on the script, all of these people to write original songs. So he got, and I'll get this all in the wrong order, the Go-Go's, the Eagles, Jackson, Jackson Brown, Louise Goffin, Sammy Hagar, Danny Elfman, Graham Nash, The Cars, Stevie Nicks. It's, it's incredible. These are the songs. Jimmy Buffett. Let me just do a little bit of this. Okay. We Got the Beat. Yes. The Go-Go's. Somebody's Baby, Jackson Brown. These are all hit songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, uh, Raising the Radio, The, uh, the, the Ravens. The Ravens. Right. Uh, uh, Speed in the Go-Go's. Uh, where is the one? Sleeping Angel. 
uh, where's the one I was thinking of? Um, moving in stereo. Oh, American Girl. American Girl was was uh, was a, a Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Right. Cashmere is That's on right. this from That's Zeppelin. Right. That's right. I mean, it goes on and on and on. Um, Lonely as the night. I mean, it's just it's just. Oh, and you also had you also had a Jim, Jimmy Buffett write a song for it, didn't you? Yeah, for Spicoli. For Spicoli called um, I, don't, I don't know or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. So the huge. I assume that was a huge, huge soundtrack. Huge soundtrack and a huge contribution. But I had worked with Irving before on a picture called FM. Yes, He'd done earlier than that. Also a great soundtrack. Also a great soundtrack, and the FM soundtrack went platinum. So I had a lot of enthusiasm yeah. for spending a lot more money on the soundtrack side than a $4.5 million budget would warrant. Right. In other words, the soundtrack ate up a lot of the damn budget. I see. So we, had, we shot this film cheaply. Really cheaply. Really yeah. cheaply. Yeah. 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 I mean, it was Marilyn Vance, who was a costume designer, mm -hmm. who we talked into coming. I, Marilyn Vance, a great person. She's married to the legendary Kenny Vance, who Jay and the Americans and sure. uh, you know all of that and Kenny had a duop band uh, called the Planetones who mm -hmm. were featured in American Hot Wax. Oh, yeah. okay. So in any event, Marilyn Vance, friend of mine, great person. She was running design for a very hip clothing store in New York called Fiorucci, and yes. I asked her to do some various things on various movies and dragged her into this thing. She pulled all of this together. Well, I mean, she, it is it the movie is famous for how they're dressed. They I mean, are, let's face it. They, I mean, that uh, what Spicoli is wearing yes. is fascinating. Well, she also had to recruit some, you know, fast food chain uh, uniforms yeah, and exactly. all kinds yeah, all of, sorts goofy of stuff, stuff they had to do. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, she did a great job and and this was very exciting and she pulled it together. Now the soundtrack comes together. Thank you Irving and it begins to be a movie that can really work. So, we need a poster. We need a one sheet. Mm -hmm. Getting a one sheet for a movie in Hollywood is always a very, very dicey proposition. By a one sheet, you mean a, a description of the movie? No. I mean a, a poster, poster that you see. Just the poster. That's, the poster, that's what the you mean. The normal size of a poster, which is a, a, you know, a rectangular, sure. vertical movie poster that right. fits in, for instance, an advertising thing on a yeah. bus stop or something like that. Got it. Okay. It's, it's called uh, a one sheet, by the way, just for the record, because in the world of advertising, there's a 20 sheet. A 20 sheet is a standard size billboard. Oh, okay. So it's 1 20th of a standard size billboard. Okay. 27 inches by 41 inches. 27 by 41, I'm told by Pat, mm -hmm. the god of all information, <laughs> who... <laughs> is thank you, Pat, for taking getting me off the hook there. And so, George Osaki is a really interesting guy who works for MCA Records and is their head of design. He pulled together the illustrated one sheet for Animal House for yeah, us, which right. is kind of famously great and yeah. was very popular. He also did the one sheet here, which really worked after looking at 10 one sheets that didn't work at all. Yeah. It was very common for a movie company to spend half a million dollars on one sheets that failed before you finally found one that was working. Right. And so, Osaki came in, and by the way, I did random notes, but George Osaki, uh, as a hobby on the side with two friends, I started buying minor league baseball teams. 
Oh. Among them, the Durham Bulls. Of course. And I made a movie later called Bull Durham. Oh, yes. But for the Durham Bulls, when we bought the team, I needed new uniforms. So I got Marilyn Vance to design the uniforms for the Durham Bulls. And she went on and did uniforms for the Amarillo Gold Sox and a few other notable uh -huh. teams okay. around the country for us. And I also got George Usaki to draw the logo for the Durham Bulls, which is a bull snorting through a circle right. with um, a lot of... Uh, vapor coming out of its but nose, it, it, and it is still the logo for we, the Durham Bulls. We so will at some point do Bull Durham, uh, you know, well, the, that's because another, that's, a, that's, that's down the line a little bit, but we're going to get there. All so, right, go ahead. So the poster becomes incredibly popular. It's always a good sign when people want copies of your poster. Yes. So it's Spicoli in a chair. And yes, with, two, uh, with a Phoebe and, uh, and the other right. blonde, I can't remember her name. Right, with big surfboard in the background yes, exactly. and all of that. Yes, exactly, yes. Iconic. Now we're getting around to beginning to release the damn thing. So distribution is always challenging when you're trying to do new things in the movie business. Mm -hmm. Because all distribution wants is the sequel to the big hit you had last year. Right. Whatever that is. Yeah. So they don't understand why this couldn't be a sequel to Smokey and the Bandit. Yes. Well, that would be simpler. That would be simpler. Life yeah. would be easier. Yes. But this is something called Fast Times Richmond High. So the first problem I have is all my distribution guys say, the title's too long. Mm -hmm. No one can spell it on their marquee. Mm. There are not enough letters to make the title, mm -hmm. so you have to change it. Yeah. So we refuse to do that. Right. So most theaters just called it Fast Times. Is that right? Yeah. If you walked around America and looked at theater marquees, it said Fast Times Richmond High once in a while, but mostly it said Fast Times. Huh. Next, they find a lot of reasons why they can't do it. And that's part of that's because, Bill, they don't want to take the rap if it's a flop. Yeah. They had nothing to do with making the movie. They have to take whatever you give them and try to sell it. And the last thing they want is to be censured or lose their jobs because they somehow turned what we thought was a good movie into a flop. Right. So they give you a lot of avenue exits from this freeway mm -hmm. constantly. Finally, they decide to do this. They decide to release it. They put it in, I think, 50 theaters for just a little bit, two weeks, and it did very, very well. 50 theaters in college towns where there's some young people around. People did, did, were you watching? I mean, did you test it to a, to a degree? Yeah, we tested it to a degree, you know. But, those but not the way you would some of these things. So basically, th basically they're testing the waters just by putting it in 50. Oh, yeah. Well, you, we tested in previews internal yeah. to the company, but sure. they tested out in the popular retail sure. market because they don't want any egg on their face and they don't want responsibility for a flop. In any event... After a couple of weeks, we broadened out, and we're now we're in 1,300 theaters. And right. then a few weeks after that, we're in more. And so this film goes out in its initial U.S. release only. Remember, it costs $4.5 million, mm -hmm. does $27 million for Hello. But before the year is out, it's done $50 million. Oh, man. International, not everywhere, but the international places where it worked begins to contribute some real yeah, money. I wouldn't think this would be a, a big international No, it's picture. not. It's not a big international picture, but it has a few places where it's very popular. Right. Today, we think of Amy Heckerling as the director of Clueless, the director mm -hmm. of uh, National Lampoon's European Vacation, director right. of all kinds of big hit movies. Mm -hmm. The idea that we let a, quote, girl direct a movie, unquote, mm -hmm. 
was so anathema, the distribution guys found that offensive. Better remember, these are all older rednecks from Texas who have a view <laughs> of the world. Hey, easy there. Go yeah. easy. I know. Well, that's as, as one of those older rednecks from Texas. But you're not. You're actually from Oklahoma. And I want to remind you, Bill, <laughs> that as an Oklahoman, you have to refer to Texas as Baja, Oklahoma. <laughs> okay, very good. Very good. You know your stuff. Yeah, well, wow. barbecue is important to me, Bill. <laughs> so the picture begins to perform, and right. it performs really well. Right. And Amy gets offers to direct other pictures, and obviously Sean Penn's career is already going, but yep. it blows up in a big way. And Phoebe Cates gets other movies, which she's not thrilled about once she finds a meaningful relationship and a chance to build a family. She takes that exit, and God bless her for doing that. Yep. And what's interesting here to me is that we pulled together a film that was not the Hollywood artificial gidget version of teen life. Yeah. This is a movie full of love and pain, full of sex and depression and mistakes and joy and dreams. In this movie, which we could not do today in the censured, canceled well, environment y we're in. Why couldn't you? You can't well, do it today because you're showing underage girls and boys. Yeah. Just like they uh, are in, in sexual real life. situations of course. that are still happening. Well, let me tell you what we do in this movie. I just remind you, one of our leading ladies, our leading lady gets pregnant. She's underage by a guy who's also underage. Right. She doesn't tell her parents. Her brother helps her, takes her to Planned Parenthood. She gets an abortion. They end the film. They, she picks her up and takes her home. They never tell anybody. And life goes on. Right. Guess what? That's what happens in real life. Yeah. That's what happens all the time in real life. You know, I've, th I've thought of this before, but, you know, when we were in high school, yeah, uh, it was not uncommon for an 18-year-old male to be dating a 15-year-old girl. It was not unusual. Happens and all the time. certainly wasn't something you'd be led away in handcuffs for. Today, that can actually happen. Many states, when you and I were kids, yeah. many states had legislation that forbid people from getting married if they were less than 14. Yes, that's right. Yeah, particularly southern states. Particularly yeah. southern states. Right, yeah. yeah. I don't know what the rule was in Oklahoma. So, so you really couldn't make, you couldn't make this picture today. Well, you just get killed. You just get, you get killed. killed by all the right-wing nutballs out there who think abortion's a bad thing and think they should somehow have fucking legislation well, control of women's bodies. I'll give you the other side. You get get, get killed by all the left-wing nutballs out there who believe that uh, that, that women uh, shouldn't be exploited in this way at that age. Mm -hmm. I mean, come on. There's all, there's all that whole cancel culture cuts both ways. It does cut both ways, but if you go back and look at Fast Times Regiment High, and I want Pat to join in on this since he saw it last night on mm -hmm. television. Um, if you look at Fast Times Richmond High, what strikes me in looking at it again mm -hmm. is how strong and independent the female characters are. They make up their own minds. They do their own thing. Right. Nobody in this movie talks to their parents about fuck all. Yeah. Nobody does. There are no parents in the movie. Right. The parents, by the way, the thing that inspired us and Cameron in the very beginning, when before the book was written, was that parents in America, America was going through a tough economic period. Yeah. Parents in America, many of them were asking their 
children to get jobs, work in burger places. They were no longer giving them allowances. They weren't able to. And so fast food became the domain of teenagers for the yeah. first time. Yeah. And they were all 15 and 16 and, and working in the local burger joint. And they were being charged money, rent, by right. their parents to live in their bedrooms. Right. So, <laughs> you know, it's an but, interesting but, but time. I, but I don't think... I remember when this movie came out, and there was a lot of that sort of, well, this is the end of civilization. <laughs> you know, I do remember that. Yes. I mean, it's, I thought, yes. it, I love the movie, it's fun, and it's fine. I don't, it's, I'm not, I don't subscribe yeah. to that. Yeah. But older people looking at it says, well, this just shows you why, you know, these people, they're, they're the yeah. stupid kids, and well, we were, they're we like, were. you know, when we were young, we were focused on blah, 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 which, you know, right. everybody, everybody, but that's, it was kind of one of those signs of, you know, it told you whether you were old or not when you, your reaction to this movie, I think. It was, it did tell you whether you're old or not. And I will say, just for clarity and for public record, it was absolutely our intent in making this movie to bring civilization as we knew it to an end. <laughs> Well, it almost happened. <laughs> it just about happened. Well, I, I think that I think that the 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 key to this this picture, if I if I may say so, and I you know, I don't I don't know what I'm talking about, but Spicoli is what makes this work yes. because he's so funny and his heart is so pure. Yes, it's true. And childlike, and it's hysterical, and he's a stoner and everything. So you may hate what's happening to the kids these days in 1982. But you can't hate Spicoli. No. And it, it, honestly, you can't hate a lot of the other kids. No, They're it's so right. naive. Yeah. When, when the rat gives a dating advice to his buddy, he says, you know, you do this and you do that. This is how to get the girl to really like you and to make out with you. But don't, don't forget, you have to play uh, side two of Led Zeppelin IV. <laughs> it's very specific. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's I mean, a, what great advice. That's fantastic I'd advice. i give someone another advice today, all I can say. <laughs> And well, it's it's a it's a great thing. Now, I've asked you this before, but I'll ask you again. When the numbers start to come in, yeah, and the people around you who have said this is a terrible, it's an embarrassment, it's it's, it's, it's crass, it's whatever it is, d are you able? to, Does it buy you something at least internally for you? And 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 well, just a tiny bit. Here's where it buys me leverage at Universal in the real life of that experience, the the real politic of Universal. Only one person counted. That was Mr. Wasserman. Yeah, Mr. Wasserman would say to me very clearly every morning. We met every morning at 6 a.m. on the elevator on the way up in the Black Tower, he would say, how's the store? Yeah. I would tell him how the store was. Right. What we were doing, what we were spending, where we were going, all that stuff. I had to know everything. If I didn't know everything, he'd say, figure that out and get back to me in the next few minutes. And the other <laughs> thing, Bill, I want to say is, yeah. I would say to him, I once made the mistake of asking him over lunch because at that time, as you remember, there were a lot of uh, books coming out about how to run big companies, up the organization, sure. all that kind yeah. of stuff, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And I said, what is our, what is our business strategy? <laughs> and he looked at me for a long beat, and he said, Tom, when I see money coming over the transom, I'm happy. <laughs> There's your strategy. That's my strategy. <laughs> but you know, it's, fu it's funny. I can't imagine Mr. Wasserman sitting and watching this movie. I just can't, I just have no picture. I, I can't make that picture he in my head. A, he ran every movie at his home uh -huh. for an invited audience. Okay. 
every year. Once a week, he'd have a movie on a Friday night, right. and a select group of 20 or 30 of his friends would come and watch the movie, and I would never hear a word about whether they loved it or hated Really? It. So he never Not walked up word. to you and said, said he might have said, congratulations, the numbers are looking good or something, yeah. but he didn't say, by the way, that Fast Times at Ridgemont, I, I laughed till I cried. He didn't do that sort of thing to you. After he, the closest he came to encouragement was after I made Car Wash and it became a profitable movie, <laughs> he said to me in passing in a lobby yeah. of a theater, he said, do that again. No, that's it. That was it. That's my instruction. That's your that pat again. on the back. That's my pat Do it on, again. That's my attaboy. Make more money. Yep. Oh, that's, so here's that's the thing great. about Lou Wasserman. He was extraordinary. He was smart as hell. He was amazing. He was unbelievably good and supportive to me. Yes. And I loved working there. And it was his support that allowed me to get away with such a variety of pictures to make same company that made the Deer Hunter, the same company that made right. Scarface, made right. Fast Times at Ridgemont High, and Car Wash. Right. Go find me that company today. Yeah, doesn't exist. Doesn't exist. It's great work. Uh, thanks for telling the story. Uh, it's, Happy uh, to. Uh, at some point, I'd love to talk with with Amy Heckerling. I know I'll, she's around. We'll, we'll ask uh, her uh, if she wants to come on the I'll, show. Uh, let's do that. Okay, uh, that's it for today. Um, until uh, next time. Uh, I'll remind you, there are no shortcuts in show business, but there are many, many detours. This is Bill Getty with Tom Mount reminding you to take fountain.